Hi, this is Lance Falk, and you are listening to a podcast named Scooby-Doo. Yeah. Hey gang, and welcome to another episode of a podcast named Scooby-Doo, the show that attempts to unravel 50 years of mysteries, meddling kids, and masked villains. My name is Mike Josic, and I'll be your guide through all things ghostly and groovy as I investigate every angle of every mystery and beyond. So grab yourself some Scooby Snacks, fire up the mystery machine, and let's start the show. Thanks so much for joining us today. If you're a regular listener of the show, we've got a great interview lined up for you this month. And if you're a brand new listener, welcome to the podcast. For anyone who's been paying attention since the release of my last episode, I know it's been a bit of a wait. It's been a bit of a slog since our last episode. Part two of my interview with J.M.D. Mateus came out at the beginning of August. It is now the end of September. While I'm technically still releasing one episode per month, that is a bit of a wait future generations will not experience the delay in the same way that faithful listeners like you have been experiencing over the last probably almost 60 days here. But I promise the wait will be worth it. It's a great conversation. We're dipping back into the musical side of the Scooby-Doo franchise. We're going to be talking to uh, film and TV composer Jake Monaco. But just before we get into that conversation, as any Scooby-Doo fan knows it is September, and September 13th, 1969 is kind of ground zero for Scooby-Doo. That is the day that Scooby-Doo Where Are You, the first iteration of the show, of the series, premiered on CBS and brought to the world Fred, Velma, Daphne, Shaggy, and Scooby. So I would be remiss if I didn't acknowledge that. Uh, I actually had hoped to get this episode out for the 13th, kind of wanted to drop it on the anniversary date, but things didn't work out quite that way. Even though I didn't make that date, I gotta at least recognize that uh, this is Scooby's birthday. So, happy birthday, Scooby-Doo! Happy birthday, Scooby! Happy birthday, happy birthday, Scooby-Doo! Scooby-Doo! Happy, happy birthday, happy, happy birthday, Scooby-Doo! Scooby-Doo! So it was 48 years ago this month that Scooby-Doo premiered on the CBS network. The show was developed through uh, the efforts of Fred Silverman, working with CBS, Joe Barbera, who handled the development end of the Hanna-Barbera shows, and uh, Joe Ruby and Ken Spears, who wrote the show, and Iwao Takamoto, who was pretty much the guy, head designer at Hanna-Barbera, and he's responsible for the look of the characters. 
these guys put together a show and a concept mashing together a little bit of Dobie Gillis, a little bit of the Archies, a little bit of the Hardy Boys, and they created something. They created something lasting. It just, I have to agree, anytime I ask somebody on the show what do they attribute the longevity of Scooby-Doo to, they usually say it tapped into something within us where we desire to experience a mystery, we desire to solve a mystery, and there are themes of friendship and that monsters, the things that go bump in the night, aren't real, they're explainable, and aren't a real threat. I think the most successful shows in the franchise play with this and they they touch on this. They sometimes subvert the concepts, but there's always a respect. And I think the the shows that willfully and, and sometimes carelessly ignore the foundations, the DNA that was kind of built into that original 69 show, those are the ones that fail. Those are the ones that we have difficulty embracing. And when we look back on them, we kind of go, what happened there? So everybody raise a glass. Kudos to 48 years of Scooby-Doo. Uh, hopefully this goes on for many years more. I know there's another show in development at Warner Brothers. Can't say anything about it beyond that. Hopefully we'll have some season two episodes of Be Cool Scooby-Doo coming out to kind of continue the 48th anniversary celebration. I know some regions already have it and have been enjoying it. It's getting a little frustrating now because, again, like everybody I'm interviewing, everyone, their favorite episodes or the episodes they're most looking forward to are the season two episodes. Jake is looking forward to season two episodes. J.M. DiMatteis was looking forward to season two episodes. Cartoon Network, Boomerang, if you're listening, just give us the season two episodes. We will devour them. We will watch them. We will love them. We will talk about them. We will promote them. As pointless as that kind of is at this point. But anyways, moving on to the more formal part of the show. Jake Monaco. Uh, Jake Monaco is our guest. And if you're unfamiliar with Jake, his music, you've probably heard it in a number of Hollywood films. He's had his fingerprints in movies ranging from The Hangover to Disney's Frozen. And honestly, who could escape the music from Disney's Frozen? He's also done television. He does the music for Netflix's series Dino Trucks. And Scooby-Doo fans know him as the wonderful composer of the latest iteration of Scooby-Doo. Be cool, Scooby-Doo. I love what Jake is doing with this series. He has a clear reverence uh, or interest in in what came before. Uh, He references it. He sprinkles it into what he's doing. But he's also doing something very fresh. His music plays up to the comedy of the show. And he doesn't Mickey Mouse it. It's it's really good stuff. And the romps. He's he's partly responsible for the romps that we're getting every week. How can you complain about that? So I'll also let you know up front that this interview is a single part interview. Jake and I talked for about a half an hour. There's no part two, so you're not going to be waiting a long time. Man, I'm so glad that I did not have a like part three for Jam. Because, yeah, that would have just been bad news. Anyways, I won't keep you any longer from the main event. I will leave you to my conversation with Jake. Enjoy. Sit back. Turn the volume up. Get yourself comfortable. And we'll see you on the other side. Was there cabbage involved? Uh-oh. All right. Uh, the first question I usually ask people is, your background with Scooby-Doo. Were you a fan as a kid? Did you follow it? Was it something that was part of your life? I think I watched Where Are You, uh, Be- oh, gosh, uh, Scooby-Doo, Where Are You, um, a little bit when I was a kid, but it wasn't really until, I think, was it Pup Named Scooby-Doo and maybe Scooby-Doo Scrappy-Doo that I remember it being a uh, an afternoon ritual, so to speak. So it was definitely not in the uh, the Where Are You phase, um, 
Although I have seen quite a few of those episodes. Um, but, uh, but yeah. <laughs> those were our user pretty ubiquitous. They were in reruns. So, I mean, we've all, <laughs> no matter what our age is, we've all seen them. Yep. <laughs> it was, it's fun to go back and watch some of those. I, I did that prior to and during like the first season of Be Cool. And, um, it was, it was good just to see, you know, the kind of feel and the tone that was being set in those and how to bring that into Be Cool, um, musically and, uh, you know, kind of reestablish, um, a newer, a newer way of approaching the score, but was still maintaining some of those elements from the classic series. Now, when I talked to John, he said that they all, everybody basically went back and watched those original Where Are You's because they wanted to, they wanted to honor that kind of original show and the uh, the tone and the style and, and, I mean, it's basically the template, right? He said when they went back, they realized this was a really terribly put together show. <laughs> did, did you have that experience too? or it, they, they felt a lot slower. Um, it definitely doesn't, I you know, I think we've gotten so used to seeing, um, to seeing shows, especially, you know, kids or not necessarily kids, just kids, but animated shows in general to be so, so much more fast paced now than they were even, you know, 15, 20 years ago, let alone what, 40 years ago now, I guess, for where are you? Um, 47. Yeah. (laughs) Um, still can't believe that's the same voice as, uh, as Fred and Scooby since back then still blows my mind. But, um, yeah, no, it definitely felt a little bit, a little bit slow watching those. Um, so I think, you know, the, the quips and the, the pacing that they established for Be Cool, I thought was, was much better for today's audience. And I, I thought the comedy that they embraced for this series, um, for this iteration of the series, uh, was, was great. You know, I, I, I think it was a lot of fun versus, you know, Mystery Incorporated, not to say that those other iterations are not good by any means. Um, but in terms of the comedy and just kind of the, you know, every, every 10 seconds or so, I mean, there's something that, you know, you're able to kind of latch onto. So it, the, the quick pace is, was nice. Well, Be Cool is very much a comedy show. It's, I mean, Mystery Incorporated, I'm personally a fan, but it was much more a mystery show. It was, uh, there was humor in it, but it was like, Be Cool is about setting up the joke. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Playing it out. The fact that Daphne got to have her own her own thing every almost every single episode still I I absolutely love that and you know once some of these new episodes from season two um, come out you know the callbacks to some of the stuff in season one is uh, is is really really great. <laughs> that was one of the things that I really liked about the show. I was just watching a couple episodes just to kind of prep for the interview and I was watching it was the kitchen nightmare one. Yep and. When Fred realizes that Daphne is going to try stand-up comedy this time around, he's like, "I'm almost feeling nostalgic for the beard," and just yeah. having just having a callback was kind of amazing. It's funny, like there are definitely some moments to look forward to in the next season too, where where that same type of thing happens, and it's uh, even referencing like other monsters um, from previous episodes, or there's a lot of little Easter eggs throughout throughout a lot of the episodes, and it's it's fun for. For the more hardcore fans that have actually, you know, watched the series from the beginning, um, and you know, not necessarily out of order or anything, that uh, it's it's fun for them. Now it's like just it. a matter of actually getting to see the episodes. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> the long odyssey to season two. So, how did you how did you get roped into all this? How did you get involved with Be Cool in the very beginning? 
Um, I got a call from my agent who had spoken to a music exec over at Warner Brothers, and she was kind of in charge of putting together some composer demo reels um, to bring over to the production. And so I put together a little reel and um, sent it off, and I don't know, maybe a few weeks to a month later or so, got a call and um, got to go in for a meeting and screen, um, or maybe I hadn't even gone in for the meeting. Maybe I, I think I, I just received a couple of scenes, actually, maybe one one block that was like three minutes long. And I think they may have had some temp in there, but it was kind of like, okay, kind of do your thing. And so I wrote the three minutes and sent it back in. And then I never heard anything for about three months. And then all of a sudden got a call and it was like, hey, they want to meet you. Um, so I went in and evidently they had a couple of meetings and then got the call that they wanted to bring me on. So, you know, it was kind of that, you know, off the cuff, uh, spec demo, the, the three minute short that, that I had done in the beginning, um, that set the, you know, the tone and the sound for the show. Was it at all? I know John has a musical background. Was that, uh, helpful when coming into the show and, and starting to work on the episodes? Absolutely. It was especially with the romps. Um, the idea for the show originally was there was going to be an original song for each one of the romp, the romps in each episode. And um, John had written a bunch of stuff along with um, the executive producer, Zach, and um, and some stuff on his own. And the idea was like, you know, we were all going to aside from my scoring the show, you know, we would all kind of come together and then record and produce these songs and, um, we had done the first couple, uh, and I, you know, they turned out really, really well and it seemed a lot of people were happy. Um, and then it just started to become a little bit too much for, I think for kind of everybody involved because songwriting, arranging, producing, recording is kind of a full-time job regardless. Um, especially with the amount, um, with the pace that they were kicking, you know, knocking out these episodes. Um, typically, I mean, if they're trying to do 26 episodes within eight months, you know, it's like two weeks on one week off, two weeks on one week off, it's a ton of, ton of songs. So we all ended up taking a little bit of a step back. Um, another songwriter came in and then they started to use some, like some, some pre-recorded songs to put in there. So a little bit of a variation getting back to John though. Um, he was <laughs> <laughs> sorry, <laughs> going a little tangent there. I was about to jump in and just say, like, you could do a lot worse than having Andy Sturmer do songs for your show. Exactly. No, no. And, <laughs> and I mean, his, his, his songs were, were a pleasure to have in there. Um, and I, it, it was always the intention, I, I don't know, in, in my mind anyway, it's nice to have other people involved, whether it's collaboration or just have, you know, different people weighing in on these songs. Because if it's just one, one person or one team that's doing them, no matter how hard you try, there's always going to be a little something that, kind of connects them. So I think having a new, new voice, new fresh take on, on these songs was definitely a good direction to go in. But, uh, you know, in terms of the score, having John on board, um, you know, for some of these music playbacks, um, typically it was, it was Zach and I that were kind of going through the playbacks. This was early in season one. Um, John was involved a little bit. And then, you know, from there, things kind of started to change towards the end of, end of season one. Um, some additional people started to get involved. But having John there just to kind of weigh in in general was nice. When going back and looking at those original episodes, 
of Where Are You? What were the considerations when figuring out what the new show would sound like? What were you kind of fishing for? It's orchestral, but it has a, a slight jazz feel to it, too. And I think those were the things that I really clung on to. And I was like, what's the new modern version of that? Um, so what I kind of based that off of was, okay, my anytime there's like the mystery theme um, or they're doing their their sleuthing or, you know, sneaking around or whatever, it's it's kind of, you know, you have a small jazz drum kit, upright bass, um, bass clarinet typically doing the melody. And then, you know, a couple of accompanying instruments, depending on, you know, what the episode is. And then to have um, orchestral accents to play up the comedy. And then once we go into, you know, like the, the higher energy chase sequences and whatnot, you know, it's definitely more orchestral, um, much busier scoring. Um, and we kind of get away from the jazz stuff. But, you know, the core main idea for the gang was to kind of be focused around that. And, you know, the other fun thing. For each episode, depending on where they are or when they are, uh, you know, solving their solving the mystery or, you know, who the villain is, there's always something that is specific to that episode um, instrumentationally that I try to incorporate into the score. So, you know, for Saga of the Swamp Beast, it was kind of, you know, down south. So, you know, incorporated some banjo, dobro, harmonica, that kind of thing, so a little bit of southern flair into it. Um, and for... Uh, for 1899, you know, it's set, try to be set back in the 1800s. I think there's a harpsichord that's kind of the, the main new instrument in that episode. So each episode tends to have its own character musically as well. Going back, looking at those episodes, uh, the jazz was something that actually really came through. And I was going to bring that up, but you've obviously done that yourself. <laughs> um, you've also mentioned different instruments. Is it all electronic or are you using actual instruments for the music? 95% of it is all electronic. Um, just for all, expediency's all, sake. <laughs> well, that and budget. Um, you know, they're, they're, we don't really have the time to, it definitely not the budget to do, you know, a full orchestra for every episode, but also to do this kind of music, it's, there's a large team and a lot of people that would have to be, you know, involved. And I think they're, you know, it's, it's definitely more relying on the, you know, the, the production and mock-ups um, to just sound good so that they can go in um, for, for some of the episodes, depending on what that signature sound might be. Uh, for instance, grand scam, I think it was um, where it was taking place at a baseball stadium. Um, there was this, it, there wasn't a song for the romp sequence, but instead it was going to be a scored romp. There was just a lot of stuff going on and it was just a little bit more fun to hit it all, but it was still kind of a, you know, a swing band type thing. So got to have a, you know, a, a musician or two come in for that um, solo instruments playing, you know, saxophone and, um, and trumpet and trombone. Um, and, you know, just try to make the most of it while mixing it in with the other samples and whatnot. Um, use bass clarinet once in a while for the melody, um, get to, you know, have a, that player come in. Um, there's another episode where we had a lot of, um, there was a wedding episode. We had a violinist come in and, um, double and triple track himself um, to get like a little a little quintet or quartet um, for some of the wedding stuff. Um, so here and there, you know, we'll bring a bring a live player in, which is it's always exciting to be able to do that. There was a few episodes where uh, rather than going for a romp song, uh, you went for just full orchestration. Area 51 adjacent is one. 
Yes. <laughs> you mentioned another. What what precipitates the the choice to to go that route rather than uh, with the romp song? If there is no dialogue happening during the romp song or during the the main chase sequence, let's say, a romp song works really really well. Uh, especially if there are lyrics. However, with Area 51, there was a lot of it was it was a a much more intense chase. There was a lot of dialogue happening. And to try and cut a song around that, it just wasn't really, it wasn't feeling good. Um, it was feeling fake and forced. Oh, so you guys actually tried a romp? Oh, yeah, yeah. There, there had, something was, had been dropped in there. And eventually they ended up putting in, for Temp, um, a, a John Williams piece. And it was just like, you know, <laughs> big orchestra. And it, and it worked so much better than trying to force a song in there. So it was just like, okay, forget it. Like, let's just score it. Let's let's have this be an action romp. Like, this, this is... Three minutes. It, plus, it was. I think it was a lot longer than the typical forty-five second to minute-long romp sequence. That was the other thing to kind of keep in mind. So, you know, it was better to score it and make a bigger deal out of certain moments and kind of play up the comedy in certain areas. Um, and there are there are probably like I'd say like seven or eight episodes over the course of the se- the series that we we went in that direction. Now, in any television series, there's a certain amount of music uh, cues that are reused. Be Cool is no exception. You have your uh, mystery reveal at the end, various other things. How much original music are you generally generating uh, for each episode? Every single episode is all... Every single cue has to be touched for every episode. Nothing can just be reused as is, um, with the exception of a maybe a two-second stinger. Um, when they pull the mask off of the <laughs> off the bad guy and reveal who it is, I think that's probably the only cue that can just be reused as is. Interesting, because <laughs> even with even with the wrap up at the end, I'm using the same theme, so I have a template that I was starting from. But every single one is slightly different. It's different in length. It's different in pacing. It's different in the way the story is told, um, depending on who's telling it. Uh, it's also in, it also incorporates the instrument of the episode as we as we were calling it um so whatever the the original sonic sound for that episode was we try to incorporate that more into the wrap-up and the end credits specifically um to really like you know have it have it focused on that still having the jazz feel underneath most of the time um but again giving it you know a fresh take every single time you mentioned the end credits. Uh, when you're watching on television, the way television is structured now, you don't often get to hear end credit music because it's just like in a little box in the corner or there's other stuff running over it. And you posted, I believe it was the majority of season one on your website with all the yeah. <laughs> end credits uh, themes, whatever. That was that was great. Like, I just, are we going to see any more of that or is that? So they, they gave me a choice. at the. I think it was on the first episode or maybe it was the second episode. They were like, okay, you can either have, you know, we'll just use the same credits for every single one. Um, or, I mean, you could do different ones every time if you wanted. I think they said half jokingly. And I was like, no, I mean, like, let's do it. I'll use the same theme every single time. However, again, depending on what the sound of that episode was, do a completely different arrangement of it. Um, and I think one of my favorites is the me, myself and AI. Um, that's a great one. Uh, and there, you know, there are a few more in there that are just, very, very different sounding from one another. Again, it's all based on the same theme. But yeah I, yeah, I guess you have to watch that on the new Boomerang streaming app that all of these are playing on um, or something to uh, to be able to actually see the end credits. But another, another little fun Easter egg there for uh, 
for the hardcore fans. <laughs> is there any chance, though, that you're going to be posting any of those again like you did with the previous ones on your website? Yes. Yeah, I, I will absolutely be posting more of the season two ones. And again, they're, they're all, they're all fresh and fun and different. I, I was waiting until they were released so that's obviously, <laughs> <laughs> but I will continue to update, update that little, uh, that little stream that I have and, um, you know, as episodes are released. And considering the way the show's gone, I'm, I'm guessing a soundtrack release is highly unlikely. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> so. Television is legendary for having no time and no money. What was your process and turnaround time for making the music? Typically, we would there would always be three episodes overlapping in some way, shape, or form. So we on a Thursday we would spot the episode. We'd go in and have a meeting, talk through it, what's working musically, um, what's not. Should we put music here, etc. And then two weeks after the spot. Uh, again, on a Thursday, we would have the first music preview where they would watch through the entire episode. I'd receive any notes back. We'd sit there and talk about talk about it all. And then one week after that would be our second music preview. And then about two days after that is when we would deliver the stems um, and all the music to the dub stage where they would then mix it with the sound effects and dialogue. And so, you know, like I said, everything was kind of overlapping. So if, you know, on one Thursday we spot an episode, then the next Thursday we might spot another episode. And then the next Thursday we're spotting an episode, have a first music preview, a second music preview, you know, all for different episodes all on the same day. So there were, especially towards the end of season two, it was like six to eight weeks of, you know, three or four things overlapping every single week. And it was uh, a little intense. <laughs> I was gonna say, what would you say are the were the greatest challenges of scoring it? And then I thought, what was the worst experience scoring it? And then I was trying to think of a way to blend those two together. But I guess I've kind of <laughs> thrown that out there. So if if you want to pick up what's lying there <laughs> and run with it, um, you know, it, there were there were definitely a lot of there were different opinions that kind of came in at different times throughout the course of the series. And when each person has maybe their their own opinion or their own way of wanting an episode scored, it can become a little bit tricky. Um, you know, when you're used to one person's style of scoring and, you know, you let's say you've worked on 10 episodes with this person and, you know, you're starting to really get into a groove and you have a shorthand and now, you know, somebody else is kind of coming in and it, it takes a little while to establish that shorthand with the, with the person that you're working with. Um, so I think that was probably the biggest challenge, um, you know, just as as different voices were uh, were involved. And what would you say has been your favorite part of scoring? Be cool. I tell you, those end credits are are super fun to do. <laughs> it's like find whatever the cool thing about that that episode is going to be, and then not really having to worry about writing or scoring something, but instead just doing a fun arrangement. I already know what the theme is going to be; it's already plotted out. Just doing a fun arrangement using those those materials the characters don't have any individual themes of their own but did you ever find yourself looking forward to scoring certain scenes with certain characters the um the inspirational kind of scene where um we have our we have our our low points usually after the second commercial break where <laughs> the gang is either trapped somewhere or they think that they failed at, at solving the mystery and you know, they we kind of have a little bit of a low point and musically, um, but then typically someone will start to talk them up 
Um, sometimes it's Velma, sometimes it's Daphne, sometimes one of the other characters. But that kind of inspirational moment um, where you're, you know, embracing that is definitely it's it's a nice point um, to emotionally embrace the characters um, with the music. I can't remember. I know, I know the production inherited the name. Be cool. But this, uh, the theme song, did you compose the theme song? Okay. No. <laughs> I seem to recall like someone saying at some point that that was also inherited, but I wasn't sure. Well, it wasn't necessarily. Yeah. So I think someone stuck this in there and uh, um, people became very attached to it. So it was definitely a symptom of like temp love. And it's funny. I mean, we, we went back and forth editing that track and writing new versions that went from, I mean, there, there's a version of the main titles that is based on the main theme um, of the end credits, uh, as well as other additional songs or things that sound very similar to it, but all in all ended up just going back to the original thing that was put in there because people heard it that were on the production side and fell in love with it. Any chance those alternate themes could end up on SoundCloud? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> What exactly would you need in, like, bribes or... <laughs> there is a Scooby community that would want to hear this. I need for all of Season 2 to be released, and then I'll, and then I'll release them. Excellent. We'll hold you to it. Uh, is there anything that you're going to miss about working on Be Cool now that it's... Uh, well, has production officially wrapped? Last time I talked to you, you said you were still scoring episodes. Yeah, we were, we were kind of plowing through the end of Season 2, um, and at this point it has officially wrapped... Um, the series is done, but I've already heard that they are in the works over at Warner Brothers Animation in developing the next iteration of the of the of the that series. Doesn't surprise me. Uh, so I am I am sure we have not seen the end of Scooby. Um, you know, meanwhile we still have. Uh, I'm I actually just got asked to be part of a direct to DVD Scooby film that'll probably come out in December or January. Nice. I think. Uh, so that's something to look forward to towards the end of the year. Um, so yeah, I was going to ask if there is any other Scooby and potential Scooby in your future. <laughs> I, you know, I, it wouldn't, it wouldn't feel right without there being some, some Scooby in there. <laughs> um, I guess back to the original question, is there anything you will specifically miss about working on be cool now that it's, uh, now that it's wrapped? Yeah, it, it's, it is a very fun series. I, I really enjoy, I enjoyed a lot of the comedy that went, that went on, especially the stuff with Daphne and, you know, it, being able to score that and, and work on that from you know day to day was was a lot of fun. So I will I'll, I'll miss the show in general. Do you have a particular episode or or piece of score or something throughout the the two season run that you consider kind of like your favorite? Something that stands out for you? That is a good question. I feel like um, I'm down to just asking a lot of what's your favorite this, what's your favorite that. <laughs> I'm trying to I'm trying to think. There. I'm I'm looking through my my li- oh yes. Um, Something to look forward to is an episode called Do Not Disturb, do spelled D-O-O, um, that, uh, that's about halfway through season two. And it's, um, I will just say there is, there is a, an operatic theme that carries through and really blends in with the score as if it were coming from an old phonograph, um, that is haunting and it is one of the scarier episodes. Um, that is in the series, and I think it was it was very very well done. So, look forward for to that one. <laughs> cool, we'll definitely watch for that. Uh, and as for a favorite episode, 
Um, that one is great. Uh, there's another one called In Space that is in season two. That was a lot of fun. Also, everybody seems to have. You ask anybody who worked on the show, and they're always like, "It hasn't come out yet." <laughs> but you'll want to watch know, for this episode. From yeah, <laughs> from season one, um, Scream Madonna was a great one. The wrap up was a lot of fun to do in that one. Um, we got to have Velma, Kate, Micucci actually sing the these lyrics that John wrote. And, um, we set it all to a wrap up song. Um, that was a lot of fun to do. Not to mention the, the chase at the end where it's kind of this virtuosic piano piece, um, mixed in with like orchestral action. So that musically, that episode is, is probably one of my favorites also. Every now and then the show has gone to what is essentially like Screamadonna. Um, I've heard there's another episode coming up where Shaggy and Scooby have to do a musical number. If you knew that a musical episode was coming up like that, is that exciting for you, or do you go, oh, more music? <laughs> <laughs> um, whenever there was a set piece, I I would ask much further in advance, trying to get any information that I could before they actually did the ADR for the episode and before they had them singing it. Because a lot of the times I would get the picture and I'd see them doing an on-camera song, and I'd be like, Oh, so we want, they're like, yeah, yeah, can you put something behind it? And it's a lot harder to put music behind, um, lyrics, whether sung or not, if they're not recording to a click track or they're not in a certain key or they're not singing to anything. Um, so trying to kind of make that up to fit and go along is definitely a challenge. There were some spots where I actually got enough notice ahead of time, um, where the song was able to be to be able to be produced prior to them recording it. So an example of that was the wrap up in Scream Madonna and another one. Oh, what was it? I'm drawing a blank now. There was like, there was like two more in season two that happened where it was like, okay, we want this song here and got to actually write it ahead of time and then have the actors record the vocals. Was there anything, any styles or techniques or instruments, anything that you would have liked to have tried that you didn't get the opportunity to? Ooh, another good question. Um, I think between the two seasons, we have covered everything from 8-bit chiptune, Nintendo 64, to, or, you know, Nintendo 8-bit type action sequences, to big band, to full orchestral, to Christmas, to, you know, like... Um, synth like an AI, um, like techno. I mean, I think we we I, we definitely hit every single genre. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I'm left longing for you know for any for anything that we weren't we're not able to use in at least one episode. Did you guys ever touch on or riff on the original Scooby Doo theme? Um, no, we did okay. not. Actually. Oh, one of the songs. Sorry, I just remembered the songs that we were asked to or that I got ahead of time one to look out for in, in season two is called curse of Kaniyaku. And that was a lot of fun to, uh, to write these J pop Japanese <laughs> pop. Um, and it's, it's great. And the, the, the cold open for that episode is, is excellent. Uh, very funny. <laughs> All right. And, uh, anyway. Scooby-Doo theme songs. There's been many, many iterations. Uh, do you have a favorite? Yes. You know, the one that 
it's it, where are you is will always be classic and I will always remember that. But the other one that is kind of ingrained into my head is Pup Named Scooby Doo, probably because I watch that almost every afternoon as a that kid. That seems to be those are like the two that kind of everybody goes for. <laughs> I think Pup Named Scooby Doo hit a certain age group that is around now. That that, that was like the where are you for the the demographic that's around right now. You know, it, it was it was catchy, it was melodic, it was sing songy, like where. You know, it was it was definitely memorable. I mean, nobody's gonna walk away humming the the be cool Scooby Doo main title situation just because. I mean, there's nothing too much to grasp onto. There's no lyrics. There's no melody. So I, I think you know, having a, a strong theme song like that is it's really important and it gives the gives the show an identity. All right, that's pretty much all the questions I have. All right. So, uh, <laughs> is there anything that you maybe want to add before we close up shop right now? Do you want people? I, are you on social media? Do yeah. you? Want people to find you? <laughs> yeah, that would be great, actually. Um, there's a, a Facebook fan page, Jake Monaco Composer, and then on Twitter, at JT Monaco. So feel free to uh, to stick those on there as well. All right, very cool. Excellent. Well, thanks, Mike. Greatly appreciate thanks it. Thanks for sitting down. <laughs> All right, thanks, Mike. And there you have it. That was my conversation with Be Cool Scooby-Doo composer Jake Monaco. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly had a lot of fun talking to Jake. I'm really excited about the little hints he's dropped about continuing on within the Scooby-Doo universe and having some more projects lined up. And I sincerely hope whatever the next iteration is going to be, it's always nice to keep that connective tissue to keep cast or production people and knowing that Michael Ryan is coming back after working on Scooby-Doo Mystery Incorporated and if Jake continues on it just kind of gives it that continuity which I think fans tend to enjoy and whether you're you know a lover of SDMI or not I'm always happy to see the personnel continue on as the shows progress and also Jake saying that he could be doing a direct video film Regardless, I look forward to reaching out and talking to him again about these new projects as they unfold. And if you're looking for more from Jake, check him out on social media. He has a website, www.jakemonaco.com. His Twitter handle is at JTMonaco. Jake will also have a short film that will be appearing as a bonus short on the Cars 3 DVD and Blu-ray release in November. And Season 2 of The Stinky and Dirty Show is uh, being released on Amazon later this year, probably November as well. And as I keep mentioning, episodes of Be Cool Scooby-Doo are trickling out new episodes either on the Boomerang app or in various international regions. Catch them where you can. Jay continues to nail the music in every episode, just doing a great job. And if you'd like to talk about anything, be they the interview or the show or Scooby-Doo in general, you can contact me at any of my social media platforms. Uh, We're on Facebook, we are on Twitter, we're on Instagram. Like, join, share, follow. Tell your friends. The best way to grow the show is to share it with people and let them know that it's out there. There's a blog, of course, over on WordPress. And if you download the show off of iTunes, I'd love it if you could take a minute, give us a rating and a review. Helps us uh, climb a little bit in the podcast standings there. And that pretty much wraps it up for this month's episode of A Podcast Named Scooby-Doo. I've got some more interviews in the pike. I'm hoping to not have you wait as long as you did for this particular episode. I hope, as I said earlier, you felt that this was worth it. Thanks, as always, for being there, downloading the show, listening. I really appreciate your guys' support. I love doing this show and the interviews, but it's a lot better when you guys are out there listening. So, stay cool, and we'll see you next time on a podcast named Scooby-Doo. See ya. Hashtag Scooby-Dooby-Doo!
Rappy Ruth, they do Scooby. Rappy Ruth, they do me. Ha, 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 ha